Good afternoon. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Down in the Valley podcast. Uh, my name is Edson Ochoa. Accompanying me, as always, my uh, co-host and good friend, Jacob Young. Jacob, how are you doing? Doing fantastic. Looking forward to talking some soccer. Yeah, they weren't the best results, but either way, it's still fun to inform everybody about this team and still looking forward to talking about it because yes, as much as there's some downside to a couple of losses, there's still some upside in the end. And of course, um, we do want to apologize for this uh, episode being a little bit late, um, but you'll understand why in a couple of seconds. So Jacob and I, we went uh, on our own different, uh, we went on our own to, to Austin, um, but we actually went to the same place on Sunday, which was at the uh, um, NASCAR Cup Series race at Circuit of the Americas, and um, it was a pretty, pretty, it was pretty, pretty fun. You know, I took my sister. Uh, it wasn't my first NASCAR race. I went to last year's Coda, which was a complete shit show with the rain. Uh, but this year, you know, the the weather actually was a lot more favorable for the entertainment. Took my sister to you know, for her first time to seeing a NASCAR race. Definitely had a lot of fun, you know, out there cheering. I was out there cheering the Penske boys and, of course, uh, Trackhouse Racing uh, with Daniel Suarez. And, um, you know, uh, just seeing Trackhouse with Ross Chastain winning their their first uh, NASCAR Cup Series whenever is just and being there uh, in person to see history being made. is just it's just amazing. Yeah, I mean, I could. I could talk about this all day, all all night, basically about the whole weekend, because yeah, it's fantastic for Ross Chastain. You take a look at 24 hours before that, Ross Chastain in the lead in the Xfinity series in the 92 car, having an opportunity to win and gets taken out at turn one mm-hmm. and had no, after that had no chance of uh, winning because it was just too, too little too late in that sense. And so he, he, he saw that in the Xfinity series came over to the cup series using that same mentality and saw that he got pushed out of the way a lot before and does the same exact thing to the person in front. Yeah. A little bit more aggressive, but what are you going to do about it? It's for your first win and it's against a driver who's not even full time in the cup series. So, and yeah. not, not only that, you know, you, if you're going to get uh pushed, if you're going to do the push and run, you have to make sure that you run, and not stay uh, within the distance that the guy you pushed catches back up and pushes you out of the way. You know, it's aggressive driving that is fun for the fans. You know, I was out there, you know, kind of like almost biting my nails uh, at the at the at the last at the last lap, and I honestly lost my voice after the race. You know, from all the from all the cheering. It's a it's a fun it's a very fun um, experience. If you guys are fan of, fans of motorsports. Um, you guys should check it out. You should check out a, a NASCAR race uh, at Circuit of the Americas. Before we talk about the South Texas Derby, I know you guys are probably wondering why the hell are we talking about NASCAR and the Down of the Valley podcast? Just you know, just so you know. Uh, but first, I do want to talk about a little about the game against LA Galaxy Two that happened on Wednesday, right? So we know about la- last week and last Saturday. We lost against um, Orange County SC. Then you run into this particular issue that we talked about last week, and that was where is our depth? 
right? You at that at that moment you did not know if Emilio Vicasa was going his red card was going to be challenged or his double yellow was going to be challenged. You lost way back way to injury against Orange County SC. You lost Tyler Derrick before that game. Um, you don't have Adolfo Hernandez, who I don't know who where the hell he is because the Toros definitely aren't going to tell you, you know, what's going on with him. You know, um, was uh, Eric Pimentel is out for an injury. Um, Juan Juan Jose Francisco Torres, El Gringo Torres, is out for an injury, and. Um, who else, who else am I missing? Another, oh, Juan David Cabezas is also out. Hasn't been disclosed what, uh, whether he's injured or not, but knowing how, knowing how in this club, if you don't play, especially in these circumstances where you need, you, where you need to rotate the squad, you're not out there. It's pretty much safe to say that these players are injured. Although I don't know about Adolfo. He, I know, based on his Instagram story, he made the trip to California, but yet he didn't even uh, come out into uh, out onto the bench. Is there, a, which needs you to believe, there might be an issue, something with his paperwork as why maybe why he still isn't eligible. But the point I'm trying to make is is that because of all of this, the roster was pretty, pretty, pretty. Um, reduced going into this LA Galaxy 2 game uh, midweek and then having to play a couple days later against San Antonio FC back at home. So pretty difficult uh, situation for RGV FC. Oh, for sure. Yep. It's it's frustrating with the depth that's in. Of course, yeah, you, you mentioned a lot of it, but <clears throat> like... For the most part, RGVFC, and I'm glad that Wilmer Cabrera, Cabrera did what he did at the start of the season, which is to bring in a lot of guys because if not, well, we wouldn't have this depth. And so we're lucky enough to have it. The only issue is it's just more on the defensive side than when you have when you go back to the attackers, those players are, well, they're hurt. Again, yes, Juan David Cabezas is not one of the attackers, but he can really be a good playmaker. Um we uh, haven't seen El Gringo Torres really on, on the field that much. And, of, co- of course, a couple of players were still waiting on um, – I'm blanking on his name, but the man who most likely broke his toe. If oh, Ollie Wright. Ollie Wright. Ollie Wright, yeah. So, you know, you, you know, there's something of that. Of course, it's only going to take time, and hopefully everybody gets gets back – that of course that's the upside is what we're kind of talking about is yes there are injuries but they're expected to return here fairly soon and so going into that match you because of the situation you definitely were not surprised at the fact that a lot of the a lot of the midfielders and attackers actually yeah a lot of the midfielders and attackers re- repeated in this game against LA Galaxy 2 why let's take a look at the midfield Officially, in the midfield for the Toros, Juan David Cabezas, Isidro Martinez, Emilio Icaza, uh, Jose uh, Torres, El Gringo Torres, and, and Juan Juan Torres. You've got Emilio out before the official announcement where they rescinded that double yellow. You had Emilio out, and you had and you have Juan David Cabezas out, and you have El Gringo Torres out. What was going to happen if they if 
if Disco, if the disciplinary committee, did not rescind that double yellow on Emilio Icaza. We only would only have two midfielders to use. Now you look at the forwards. Frank Lopez, okay, who's been playing. Ollie Wright, who's injured. Duilio Herrera, the 19-year-old. Or 17-year-old, excuse me. Dylan Borjak, who's been playing. You know what's also interesting? Where's Adolfo Hernandez in this roster? Why is it? Are you telling me that paperwork didn't make it through? Is it uh, is it an issue with the with the visa? Is there something going on? Why he isn't officially on the RGVFC roster at this moment? Is this why we can't have him? You know, we we haven't seen him at all, even though he's not injured from from what we see on his Instagram stories. Is it an issue with paperwork as to why we can't have Adolfo Hernandez as a substitute for Frank Lopez? Because let's be honest, Frank Lopez has played every game as a striker, and especially so early in the season. Now you have you have a double, you know, double header week, and you know it's got to be very fatiguing, tiresome for Frank to deal with all of that by himself as well as Dylan Borjak. It's just one of those situations where, I mean, we, 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 we don't know. <laughs> we don't know what could happen if we, if we don't have that man. Of course, Borjak is a must. And the, of course, if he gets hurt, I think this team, it's its over. And if Wilmer can't sign anybody because he's already broken the cap, then there's a major, major issue with the team because he's, at the moment, the one that looks like the best player out there on the field. And that's saying a lot. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the raw, at the lineup for this game against LA Galaxy 2, Colin Miller on goal because no Tyler Derrick. Luka Melisevic because... Uh, Jonathan Ricketts uh, played against Orange County SC. If I'm not mistaken, he was a starter in that game. Um, then you have Stefan Mueller playing as a left-back position in place of Robert Coronado. You've had Jesus Vasquez, the captain, who continues to play. Uh, then you, because of the injury by Wehab Akway, you had Frank Nadars. I think it said his name is Frank Nadars playing as a center back alongside Vasquez. Then you had the the line of three with Isidro Martinez, who's been playing all the minutes, you know, since the beginning of the season. Uh, Juan Pablo Torres as well. And uh, Emilio Casa, who was announced by Disco, like as I mentioned, that his, uh, his yellow card, his double yellow card, was rescinded with, you know, with enough reason to rescind it. It was... Emilio Casa had nothing to do with that with that play for that for that yellow. That was Juan Pablo Torres, and he ended up getting the yellow. That's that was just um, dumb referring. So good job by USL Disco for now. Um, and then up to, up on top, you've got Frank Lopez. You don't have any other strikers to rotate. Uh, Ricky Reese. You don't have any other wingers to rotate. And the one you rotate with Dylan Borjak, you end up re- uh, rotating him with. Duilio Herrera, the 17-year-old. Uh, that, 
pretty much putting him into the ring of fire, you know, against Los Dos. And you look at the bench, you only have five. You only have five players, including Wehab Akwe, who was nursing that injury that he had against Orange County SC, which led me to believe that maybe Nathan uh, or uh, Wehab Akwe's injury may not be as bad as it looked, but still enough to not make him 100% comfortable to, to get some minutes and start. Um, but other than that, you had Javier Garcia on the keeper, Wehab Akwe, who was injured, Robert Coronado, Daniel Luis, the other center back, and Dylan Borjak, just five. That, 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 that's worrisome. Uh, so what's going, what's going on? Why is everybody getting injured? You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I can't answer that question. It's in why everybody's getting injured. Um, it, something does need to change if it is training, if it is something along the lines of that. Something does need to change in that area, but besides that part, um, it, it's yeah, it, it's definitely tough seeing the warrior on the depth. Because again, we go back to it. Borjak is a bench warmer, but he comes onto the field and plays great. If that man gets hurt when he gets onto the field, we're down to four including the keeper who's always going to be on the bench. So really we're down to three field players at least uh, in until, you know, Tyler Derrick comes back. It's still going to be three field players, but it, it is very, very just, we're not in the best part, but going back on the roster, I think Ikaza should have had that yellow card kept. I think it was totally his fault. He magically was there all of a sudden. He was in two places at once, Edson. That's why they called the foul in the first place. He, he was in two places at once. I, I think Disco did a bad job. <laughs> well, I think that should have been a fine on RGVOC for fielding 12 players at the same time, if that's the case. It's voodoo magic, I tell you. Voodoo magic. Exactly. But, but if it's not in the rules... You can't, mm -hmm. you can't do anything about it. Eh? Mm -hmm. You got to think about this loopholes guys, <laughs> but, um, honest, but being in all seriousness, man, it, 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 I understand it's, it's the early part of the season, but it's still wor it still worries them because it's the early part of the season. We've had so many injuries yep. that not only it, it's not only the number of injuries guys, it's who is getting injured, the experienced players. The players that can tell the young guys, okay, I need you to do this. I need you to be over here. Do this. Don't do this. You know, that's going to lead that team, you know, when things start going uh, uh, against the team. We don't have them. Just Jesus Vasquez. And pretty much Frank Lopez uh, up on top. Mm -hmm. Because other than that, Everybody seems to be in, in what at most what three years experience, you know, in, in, as a professional. So hopefully we can get these with these players back. But going into the game against LA Galaxy two, it, it's just we. I knew at least speaking for myself, I knew it was going to be very difficult. Couple that you're going up against a team you've never beat in the history of your club. Yeah. You've never beat LA Galaxy two. Things were just going against for RGV. But RGV, um, RGV had the closest opportunities. 
You had Ricky Reese hitting the post uh, in the first half. Um, I think what I liked about RGVFC is one of the keys that I mentioned in my preview uh, article for the Striker Texas. I mentioned that the defensive line needed to take a close look at Preston Judd and don't give him space out in the open and don't give him opportunities to get a ball comfortably inside the box. And that's exactly what they did. You know, they limited the amount of opportunities that Preston Judd had with the ball. In fact, I think he only he only touched the ball a couple of times and he looked desperate, you know, and he you limited LA Galaxy to uh, almost nothing, you know, of as far as clear chances that you felt like, oh, this is the danger of being a goal. Sure, they had some. Um, they had some shots on target. Uh, they in total, they only had three shots on target in all 90 minutes. And everything else, they had 12 shots in total, so nine shots off target, which means they didn't have it. They either don't have the talent to get some shots on target or the defense, the way I saw it, I feel like the, the defense, for the most part, they kind of did not give them enough uh, space to be comfortable and get themselves a shot on, on target. But maybe I'm just being too optimistic. I, I don't know. No, I mean, I, I think the defense for RGVC did a fantastic job in that match um, for, for the time being, especially when it was nil-nil. Edson, and it really did help RGVFC out to get to get comfortable and have an opportunity to get those close chances and to get shots on target if possible. Of course, a couple of those not necessarily being on target, but when they were able to, it they looked like a fantastic team inside of an empty, empty LA Galaxy one stadium, but LA Galaxy two playing there. So it, it was. It, it, all in all, in my opinion, it was good for parts on the defensive side. But of course, when that happens, your offense needs to step up and put it behind the net so that your team, your defense doesn't have to be working two times as hard. Mm -hmm. Now, in the first couple of minutes, it's really, really seemed to me that the defense was shaky. They made some bad passes. They had, there was a couple of times where Jesus Vasquez kind of looked shaky, looked nervous and made some mistakes that cost, you know, uh, a transition for LA Galaxy 2, but they were able to contain. Um, and it all seemed like it was working well. Obviously, offensively, the Toros still lacked. They only had two shots in on total. You know, the, the, the shot from Ricky, Ricky that hit the post and there was a, there was another, uh, blocked shot that, that Ricky Reese had other than that, RGVUC really didn't have any clear opportunities, uh, on the goal, you know, but at least they had the zero right to build up into the second half. But right before the halftime whistle, there was a very controversial play which the referee calls a handball on Jesus Vasquez and calls the penalty. Mm-hmm. Now, 
the problem is I can't tell you if it was a right decision or the wrong decision because the camera angle that the USL had that they were reviewing the play on the uh, broadcast was from the other side of the stadium and you've got a bunch of bodies in between the camera and the play so you didn't really see anything you didn't really see if Jesus Vasquez had his handball has had his hand on the side of his body like he was arguing with the ref or if it was an intentional you know uh, attempt to gra- to blocking the ball with his ball they're really uh, from the fan perspective there really wasn't a, a, a lot of uh, evidence to to prove that the referee did not did, made an incorrect decision in my eyes no I agree um, at that time I was making a couple of picks with the San Antonio FC roundtable for uh, their UIL uh, playoffs that was coming up that next day. But either way, it, yeah, it, it didn't – it was tough to tell from the replay as well. Just like you said, I had it on my second monitor as I was doing that. And it was – yeah, it was a frustrating, frustrating couple of minutes for sure. But shout-out to Colin Miller. I know we're about to get into that. Mm-hmm. Colin Miller being able to make that first save on the penalty. My opinion, he should have made the save, save, got back up, and stayed where he was instead of trying to go forward and trying to stop the ball. That's in my eyes. Of course, I'm not a keeper. I'm not anything like that. His instinct was probably still good. But in that sense, maybe just slightly, he might have had just a tiny bit more of a chance to maybe get that save, but that second ball was also a really good ball played into the back of the net for LA Galaxy 2. I think for me, the... <laughs> I'm looking, because I'm looking at the play right now, and it's one thing I didn't, I did not notice while I was watching the game. So, Taylor Davila, who's the guy that scores the goal, If you pay if you pay attention to where he is um, before Preston Judd takes the penalty, and I agree with you with Colin Miller uh, and the fact that he made an amazing save, I still think that when you play as a keeper and you've got a penalty, it's all about reactions. It's not a it's not really about like okay, uh, unless it's a, a, a soft shot, you're you're at at the mercy of the rebound of the ball. Right. So the point is, the point is your, your job is to deflect the ball away from the goal, which he did. Everything else, what happens after that all depends on your defense. But take a, if you guys are listening, take a look at the highlights and take a look at this, uh, at the play. So Preston Judd or, or before Preston Judd, Kicks the ball for the penalty. Taylor Davila, he's roaming around the outside of the box. Like he's not even, you know how usually players, they'll stand like right on the line and just stand and wait for the penalty to be shot so he can dart right in. He's roaming. He's walking. He's walking towards the side, kind of towards the sideline as the kick is about, as the penalty is about to be kicked. 
Nobody's guarding him. Nobody's watching him. You have two players at the edge of the box as well. Nobody's guarding anybody because, uh, well, at least one person. So you've got two players guarding one attacker. And Taylor Davila's just roaming, right? You continue the play. As the as Preston Judd kicks the ball before, he, as he's making his run towards kicking the ball, Taylor Davila is already running yeah. towards the inside of the box. But he timed it so perfectly that he's got momentum in his run, so that by the time Preston makes contact with the ball, he already has momentum and he's in a good in a position where he they're not going to call the goal back, right? Because yep. he didn't cross into the into the box. And while he's and because he already has an advantage to it to that ball, he gets there first before the defenders who the only thing they can do is react because they never realized that behind them, Taylor Davila was roaming and making the run towards the inside of the box. That's a, that's where I think experienced players can notice, can notice that and get, and make, you know, the necessary movements to avoid those kind of surprises. So mm -hmm. to me, the biggest culprit was the defense that wasn't aware of their surroundings and reacting instead of being proactive in that particular play. And I 100% agree. I just, you know, watched that play over again. And it, it is true. You, you just, you, you see him. You see him running right outside with no mark whatsoever. That's going to be a goal nine times out of ten. That's how you get scored on on set pieces too, is not, be, is not being able to mark your guy especially when they move just like on i mean yeah it's still a good example is on american football when they send a man in motion and he's ends up not being marked beats his corner all of a sudden wide open deep throw qb makes a perfect pass he's most likely going to go 90 yards for a score if they're you know backed up that far so it's that same exact way Fantastic job by LA Galaxy 2 to make RGVFC forget that they're defending somebody. But yeah, that's something that I bet you was talked on later in the week when RGVFC had to get back home because that's a big flaw. And in your analogy of American football, right? It's Am I correct in saying the nine times out of ten, whenever there is a man in motion, there's somebody that is that is assigned... To us, to that specific player, to follow him. Oh, for sure, just just about every time, just about. The difference is, is that in American football, you've got you've got him right in front of you. Mm -hmm. This time, it's behind you. But this is, makes it very crucial for you to be aware of your surroundings and of your peripheral vision, mm -hmm. to to see that if there's anybody that you have to mark, especially when you've got two players on uh, on one. Why do you have two players on one going into a penalty? Yep. It just, it just, it just makes no sense to me. But then again, I'm not a professional player; I'm just a couch potato. So, mm -hmm. uh, but that's just my that's just my analysis, and then that, that that's 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 my opinion on on, on this matter. Yep. Um, in and halftime, when they were coming in back for the second half, uh, Wilmer Cabrera decides to take out Duilio Herrera and bring in Dylan Borjat. 
With Dylan Borjak on board, RGV looked a whole lot better offensively. They started making yep. a whole lot more plays. They started to break down uh, LA Galaxy's 2's defense. The problem was that last touch. That last touch was just lacking. There were many opportunities where just that last-minute decision of, okay, I know there was one. I think it wasn't in the – let me let me try to get that. It was in the – I'm trying to – I think it 70 no it was like at the 55th minute the one where he's one-to-one against his defender right in that juke this defender falls down so he he, like he's going head to head towards the keeper and i don't know if he was trying to shoot towards the far post or if he was actually you know trying to pass that ball over to frank lopez uh, you know right in front of goal in the end it was neither of those. It was too far away for Frank, but it was also too far away from actually going to the direction of the goal. And the DOSL actually has it going that that ball actually ended up going out of play at the at the sideline, you know, so it wasn't even a goal kick in that play, you know. But Dylan Borjak brought in that spark to, to the offense, but it just wasn't enough to get some, you know, clear shots on on frame i mean the Emilio because i know he had like one and then even dylan borjak as well later on in the uh, in the half like around the you know the 80th minute but you know it, it's just the surprisingly eric lopez which is who is the the young goalkeeper from LA Galaxy 2, he did an outstanding job making the necessary saves or at least closing down the angles to avoid any clear danger on his goal. Shots on target for the Toros in total, only two. One from Emilio Icaza and the other one from uh, Dylan Borshak. And that's it. Yeah, not to mention the one that was actually scored on but called back too. Because hmm. RTVSC did score a goal, but it got called back. Well, man, I don't, I don't even remember that one. RTVSC did have a opportunity, and they did put it in the back of the net. I was watching, of course, I didn't hear what the announcers were saying or what the referee was saying because I had it on mute. But I do recall a ball going into the back of the net, RTVSC celebrating for a second, and then all of a sudden the referee is like, nope, no goal. And that would have been a tie, and that would have been a point on the road, and my prediction would have been correct. Did they call what was it a? Did they call an offside, or do you remember exactly what, what they, why they called it back? I think it was because of a foul. I think it was because of a foul, but it did not look like a foul at all. It really looked like a regular play, and it should have gone into the back of the net. Harry might be able to give some insight afterwards, but it's that. Yeah, it should have been a goal. It should have counted to be exact. Yeah. So in the end, that was all that RGV could muster against LA Galaxy 2. Um, that is now, what, what was it, like 12th or the 11th game in a row that RGV cannot beat LA Galaxy 2 since its inception. Mm-hmm. Um 
after that, it was one of those things where, you know, I wasn't expecting a lot from the South Texas Derby, to be honest. We knew that the players were going to be fatigued. Uh, we knew that San Antonio was coming in on a better mode, on a better run than RGVFC. I was talking on Friday. I was talking to Harry, you know, when I was recording with him for the uh, San Antonio round, uh, soccer roundtable, you know, talking about the South Texas Derby that was to come up. And I frankly told him, I honestly think that San Antonio is going to win it. Because if you look at all of their lines right now, mm-hmm. San Antonio looks better defensively. They have experience in the midfield. They have experience on goal. And they have experience up on top. They have depth. They have talent. You know, overall, San Antonio is the better team. And couple that with the fatigue, I wasn't ex- I wasn't expecting a win, not even a draw, if I'm going to be honest. What were you expecting, Jacob? Yeah, I, I was kind of like you. I was ex- I wasn't expecting too much. I was hoping for a draw, but that that's really about it. And nah, I know I, I was hoping for it. I kind of expected like you a loss. I'm not going to lie, um, but I wanted to keep a little bit of a positive mindset coming into it, um, just in hopes that RGVSC, they could have done better at LA Galaxy, too. They're going to be a little bit tired. That's how I felt. Mm-hmm. I really did feel like that coming into it, so it wasn't all terrible and then of course i get distracted by usa versus panama of the nascar race everything happening on sunday so yeah coming into that i was a little you know distracted but at the same time still in that side mind thinking oh just hope that we can muster up a point get something going after a couple of games where it was a little bit of bad luck more than good luck so even San Antonio coming into this game, they had they had a couple of injuries, including, you know, um, I know I'm going to be flamed for this by a lot of people, but my favorite San Antonio player, PC, you know, was out for an injury because he's just so crucial and so influential for San Antonio FC. Last season, without PC, without Victor Gyro, San Antonio just couldn't get results in their favor once pc came back san antonio started going on that winning streak and started it started you know playing much better looked more organized he brings in that fight he brings in that passion to the midfield yeah it cost him a couple of yellows for descent to the referees but i mean all of that passion he instills in it like it, it just becomes uh uh what's the word i'm looking for it's contagious to the rest of his squad, right? So he was going to be out. Deshane Beckford, Deshane Beckford, former Toro, was going to be out. Santi Patino, the striker, also going to be out. Uh, Kekutamane and Mohamed Abu were all going to be out. Five, you know, reported injuries. But yet, even with that, just look at the squad that San Antonio had. You know, they had Bonilla and, uh, you know... 
Colombian youth national team player, Mitchell Tainter, Garcia, Carter Manley, Gomez, Triore. I guess I believe he's the one that was brought in from France. Uh, you've got Connor Maloney, Ate's Diouf, the former bold player. Uh, you've got Loera, you've got Collier, and you've got Justin Dillon. I was about to call him Austin Dillon again. Oh my god! But um, but even with all of those injuries, look at what starting lineup they bring out, right? Because they have the depth, and they have you know they. They don't have to go through this whole rebuild once again, you know, and having to build a squad at the last minute, you know, so. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those situations where just San Antonio FC coming into the match, just like you said, they're more, they were more, well, they were, yeah, they were well organized. They were a well organized squad, and all all that was a big plus to that squad, except for all the injuries. And it is true they don't have to go through this almost every single year. Now I understand why RGVFC had to go through it this year because one. And Cabrera, I do too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, it wasn't his team last year, last minute, so he wants to get more players in, <clears throat> and so all of that becomes a big old. Uh, a bigger plus, especially when we saw from that first match of the season, how well they were able to get in sync with each other. Of course, that was before a couple more players got injured and all of that fun stuff. So yes, San Antonio FC coming into that game looked like the better team and looked like they were going to be, well, just they were going to be dominant on the possession and other things like that. And, And they were. They weren't necessarily dominant in possession. They only had like 33% possession. What they were dominant is is their um, positioning on the field. Mm -hmm. Yes, RGBFC had a couple of opportunities that made Bonilla work for it in the the first half. And like in the first 20 minutes of the first half. But after those 20 minutes... It was all San Antonio. San Antonio with the high pressure. And I'm talking about not necessarily like high pressure to, you know, uh, just to with one person. I'm talking about, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but San Antonio, what they were doing is that they were forcing RGV to go out on the wings. And when the ball went out towards the wing, he had four or five players like right in the vicinity of where that ball was. When the RGB player would would receive the ball from the pass, you've got a player right on his back already, you know, not allowing him to turn around and try to or, or try to maintain possession of the ball, find somebody to pass it to. They didn't have time to move. Everything had to be quickly. And right now, RGB still isn't up to sync with that. They lost a lot of balls. The both goals that San Antonio scored were balls lost in transition caused by that high pressure from San Antonio FC. Now also, it appeared that San Antonio was playing butcher because they were butchering the Toros. 
with the amount of foul, fouls that they committed against RGVFC. I think in total it was a, like 19 fouls against San Antonio FC. That's ridiculous. And a lot of the, I know there were a couple that should have been yellows, and they didn't mark them as yellows. Now, first goal. I talked about the high pressure, right? Yep. So in the first goal, that ball was ours from a free kick on our end, but we had possession of the ball, right? The ball gets sent over to Danielle Luis, the Cuban center back. You had, I think it might have been, it could have been, I think it was Maloney, if I'm not mistaken, who goes and pressures Danielle Luis. But Luis, seeing the pressure of the San Antonio player come up to him, instead of passing the ball quickly towards Coronado or even sending that ball out to the other side, clearing the ball, he tries to dribble the ball past the San Antonio attacker loses the ball. There's controversy there if that was a f- actually a foul or not. To me, it was a foul. But as you know, I don't like to talk about referees and say, oh, we lost because of the referee, which is I'm not, which is why I'm not focusing on the referee's decision on that. My focus is why are we losing the ball in transition like that when you could, you know, when you know you're not the most nimble player you know you're not the most uh technical player clear it out don't don't put yourself as bait or like don't put your don't fire yourself in the trap of losing the ball when you're in transition mm-hmm. right they lose the ball juan pablo torres is slow to react right and it's uh dylan was it i think it was dylan that dribbles the ball into the box. You leave uh, Jesus Vasquez dealing with two players. Dylan coming in and, and uh, Collier, you know, that's that's going to be receiving, you know, the pass that, that's there to support, you know, uh, Dylan. So he's confused. Okay, so who do I mark, right? Do I go towards who the person, the person who has the ball? But I, but I leave Collier wide open right so his for so he notices that and he makes that turn i don't know if you if you notice this he makes kind of that turn uh left hand turn to try to come back to where collier is but by that time the ball was already passed to collier and he shoots it in inside of the net now i know there were some comments saying oh well what the hell is uh, colin miller doing well, Colin Miller, he is going to be reducing the space. He's going to be reducing the angle of shot for the attacker coming in. Try to intercept that ball. Try to do something, right? So it's to me, it's not a mistake on, from Colin Miller. 
to me, it's more of a mistake and not even a mistake. It's more of the fact that you're in a 2v1 situation, you know, who do I go? Who do, it, it's a quick decision thinking, right? But it was done a little bit too late to where the fact that you look like a fool. You're not a fool, but because of the timing, you look like a fool, but it was what you should have done. You, you should have done the right thing. If you're seeing that the call that your, your goalkeeper has is already dedicated to blocking the, the angle, what you need to do is you got to cover the guy coming in and, and, and try to get that, that pass. Had he done that decision to go back towards Collier, maybe a second earlier, he would have not been as free to, to, to just tap the ball into the net, right? Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of timing, but it all comes back from that horrible decision of dribbling rather than playing it safe and get clearing that ball away from danger. Uh, I agree. Um, yeah. But of course there will always be the other facts that say the statistics, the, the statistics, wow. The statistics, these statistics show that you're better off playing it out of your own end, no matter what the deal is. I would have rather seen, just like you said, them send it past midfield for the so to avoid the first goal, considering not to mention that you had a big old scare 12 minutes into the game where you almost get scored on that way, and Colin Miller has to come up huge. So Colin Miller already came up huge. Why can't the defense come up big and – I don't know, clear it again. Just clear it out of your own end. It's not that difficult to do. You hit it past midfield or near midfield. It's going to be great. Mm -hmm. But yet they did not do that for the first goal. And we can go on and on about it. How just, you know, keeping it in your own end and stuff. Yes, of course, there may have been a foul, but some can also argue he kicked it he put his stud right between his leg and got the ball cleanly that's what you can kind of tell off the replay too it's which is crazy crazy to think that you could still do that and come away clean but mm -hmm. yeah and yes colin miller can come up some argue just like you said he might he might have had a better chance to save it if he stays back. But again, this dude's already made one good save. Why not let him come up, try to block off mm -hmm. the the angle, just like you said, and try it that way? Because if it doesn't work, oh, well. But in the end, it was all a missed play. It was all a missed opportunity from the start of that whole situation. You don't, you just don't lose the ball. And that's very, 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 very frustrating to me to talk about just yeah and here's and before we go on to the to the, the goal by rgv this uh -huh. is why they always tell you always play the ball until the referee blows his whistle mm -hmm. why did the rgv toros uh hesitate to go for to recuperate that ball after uh he got mm -hmm. dispossessed Everybody thought that he, that there was going to be a foul. Yeah, but no. Because, yeah, but guess what? Uh, Dylan, he didn't care. He went for that ball. And by the time everybody realized, uh, oh, he didn't call a foul. Oh, shit. Let me go. 
Yeah. He's already making his way towards the goal. You mm-hmm. got to play until the referee says otherwise. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's just, it's just a snowball of errors that mm-hmm. are accumulating. And it's all concentration errors, man. I th- really thought that we'd be behind this. And it just keeps on happening. But towards the positive, right? Before the before the uh, before the half ended, mm-hmm. RGBFC were able to get an equalizer back. Beautiful cross by uh, Isidro Martinez towards Dylan Borjak, who you know dies gets a diving header to deflect the ball to the far post. Impossible to save for uh, Christian. Um, was it? Uh, Bonilla. It, it was just beautiful. The best part was he, Dylan Borjak did it in between two defenders, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, well, I actually told my sister while I was listening, because I was listening to that. I wasn't watching. I was listening and with that play. Uh, but I told my sister, this is good motivation for RGVFC to have gotten an equalizer before the half ended. And so everything was all fine and dandy. It was a beautiful play. All right, let's just take it. Let's just take it to at halftime, you know, and then at halftime, we'll have some more uh, opportunities, you know, to try to get the go ahead goal or something like that. Yep. Plus not. (laughs) No, what was it? 44 plus? (laughs) Yeah. Around there? Yeah. It was only like less than a minute after, (laughs) less than a minute after the confetti finally settled (laughs) on the ground. From that goal. Mm-hmm. And San Antonio was back up again. Once again, a lack of concentration, this time by Ricky Ruiz. You know, but it's all because of that high pressure. You know, because Ricky, he receives the ball within his own half. Yep. And the left and the left back from San Antonio makes that run all the way to you know, that part of the, of the field to make that dispossession, you know, mm-hmm. any other, any other player, any other defense are like, okay, let him receive. Hey, they're still in their first half. They're far away from goal. Let him receive, let him turn around and I'll stop him, you know, on my end. Right. But no, by the time Ricky Rees received the ball, he already had, uh, uh, whoever that, that player was right on him. Number 15. It was uh, Triori. So by the time Ricky Reese received that ball, he already had Triori on his back and making the, that dispossession. Right? So they lose the ball. RGB loses the ball in, in right there. They recuperate the ball really quickly. I know I showed, the, I showed the play to my dad, and it's like, why is he turning inside and not outside? You know, there's a lot of questions, right? It's a lot of questions Mm -hmm. that I can't tell you why he did this or why he did that because I never played, you know. So Mm -hmm. it might have been a good idea. It's his style, more than likely trying to go through the middle. But it's the high pressure. I think in this case, it's a lot more the kudos to Triori for coming up quickly and by surprise to Ricky, you know. He wasn't, to me, it felt, I could see that he wasn't expecting Triority to come up so high, right? Yep. So, so Santa, so Santa Tuna recovers the ball and Loera makes that run through the middle 
in between Jesus Vasquez and Daniel Luis. Calls for, you know, he's making this, you know, gesture. Hey, I want a through ball right over there, right? Daniel Luis can see this. He's got Loera in front of him. Mm-hmm. And instead of trying to run as fast as he can to try to intercept or try to get there before the ball reaches Loera and, you know, do do something, right? You know, to make him uncomfortable, not receive the ball comfortably, anything. He doesn't, like, he reacts late. And, you know, it's a clear, it's a clear dribble to the, to, uh, inside the box. Colin Miller gets the initial save. You know, the rebound lands on Loera. And once again, Daniel Luis is like slow to react to try to kick the ball away. Uh, the, the ball luckily lands, uh, uh, it was luck as well from Loera in that rebound. And it was just a simple tap in for that second goal of San Antonio. It's frustrating. And I think Wilmer Cabrera was fed up and frustrated from the performance by Daniel Luis because right at, right before the second half started, he already had him substituted for Wehab Agüe. And you know when Wilmer Cabrera makes early substitutions is because you either got injured or you seriously messed up yep, and deserve to be benched. Mm-hmm. Yep, for sure. But may that turn the game as well. Because not only that, but then RGVFC, in my opinion, looked dangerous. They looked like, you know, um, who, who was it? But it was it was mainly, you know, SAFC. It looked like they were now on the back foot, kind of playing from behind, even though they were up two to one, which is understandable sometimes. Mm-hmm. And RGVFC were able to try and make headway and try to get that tie and goal, which was huge. They were taking those strides to try and get that equalizer, getting shots up on target and things of that nature. So it was it was very <clears throat> interesting from that point of view to see that at, at least they didn't feel out of it and they felt like they could tie it up. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, at that point, like you mentioned, San Antonio is going to hold back, let RGV, you know, time was in San Antonio's favor. So as the time ran out, RGV was going to get desperate. And they continue to push RGV out to the wings, try to get some crosses in here and there, try to get some danger. RGV had a couple of shots in this in the second half. You know, they had a lot more shots than San Antonio. San Antonio only had one, and it was a blocked shot in the second half. But it just, you know, you had a couple of shots on target that were saved by Bonilla. You had some shots off target. You had a lot of blocked shots because everybody was just kind of bunched in inside that uh, that box, you know, for San Antonio FC. There really wasn't a lot of space to work with and get some clear shots on goal. And at the end of the day, it just keeps on working for San Antonio. And they were able to get away with a 2-1 win. And now we're four games in and we only have three points out of 12 possible. Luckily, though, RGV has a full week and a half 
to recover. They have a bye week next week. Next weekend, they will go and they will play their debut of, in the Open Cup against uh, North Carolina SC, and we will talk about that game next week. But this is the time where hopefully RGV recovers their injured players because with what we have right now, it's not enough. It's not enough to be competitive because of fatigue, because of this, because that where some players just aren't working, you know, for Wilmer, for Wilmer Cabrera. I don't know what your evaluation is. Now it's not, it's not, I don't think it's bad enough to, you know, kind of raise the alarms, but it, but it's, it's getting to the point of, you know, there's a lot of questions that hopefully will be answered. Um, there's still a lot of chemistry that they've got to develop because it's such a new team. Um, but I do know that the fans, especially the more casual fans, they don't have the patience. I've already seen a couple of uh, people on social media, especially on Facebook, you know, putting, oh, I'm selling my season ticket uh, to anybody that wants them. I, I, I'm done with this team. Obviously, it's kind of dumb, you know, but, you know, at the end, it's his money. It's his or her money, so I can't tell them what to do with it. But this is going to be a long process, you know, to get this team back to where it was and even more, you know. But I, the biggest question, and we talked about it in the beginning of this episode, is the injuries. When are they getting back? Why have they been uh, uh, so many injuries? What can be improved on their end to minimize any more injuries in the future that will further reduce our uh, roster depth, especially when now you've got the Open Cup, you know, as an extra uh, tournament that, that the Toros need to participate in. Yep, it's going to be. Yeah, don't don't sound the alarm yet, even though it's starting to be worrying. Like you know, there's a small beep that says something needs to happen. Something positive needs to happen for RGVFC. Maybe it's going to be a win against North Carolina SC, like you said. Some something of that sense. Wilmer Cabrera needs a, to kind of go back to the drawing board in a sense, especially with the team that he's got right now and to make sure that everything possible can go right because it's just too much. Go back to the drawing board with your trainers because apparently something's wrong there. I'm sorry, but in the end, not you should not have more than two injuries free freaking season. It's stupid that there were more than that. It's weird that we have so many issues with whether or not visas or something strange like that where we can't get depth now we don't have any depth and we're now frustrated about the team because of that sense that you can't start your regular starters on a daily basis because if you do they're going to get tired so quickly so then that becomes an issue and then the attack has been nowhere to be seen again i go back to talking to my friend week one you know, spending half the time in the press box and half the time outside, because that's what I like to do a lot, especially when I know somebody in the stands, because it's cool. It's cool to see it from up on the press box. And it's cool to see it from the crowd perspective, because it just, it gives you 
a little sense of what's the crowd reaction like? How how are they experiencing the game? And what can you tell from that section? So either way, that's just what I like to do. Point point being, we just it went we went defensively when we could have gone with an insane attack. Uh, in ta- attack mentality from the start. Wilmer Cabrera, yes, he knows what he's doing, but at that same time, now it's starting to figure out, well, you don't have your players that you want. Can you get more, or what are you going to do? It, it's just very, very frustrating at this stage now. Yeah, definitely. If you want to put it into weather terms, like we're right now under a hurricane watch or a tropical storm watch, right? Mm -hmm. You know, where it's the conditions are favorable in the future for something to be brewing, brewing up. We're not at a hurricane warning just yet, but if things continue to, you know, to not be fixed, we're heading there, right? We're still early enough to fix these issues to find out what works, what doesn't work, recover the the players that are in that are injured, make sure that the ones that have, have not been injured don't overfatigue themselves to the point where they break and get all these injuries as well, which you know, I'm surprised we didn't have any more injuries uh due to this, you know, all of this uh fatigue from these last couple of games, you know, but this week and a half is a good opportunity to recover them and kind of build up for the rest of the season. Uh, but I think it also goes to show that I think maybe we should not have hoarded too many defen- defensive players, you know. Oh, they, for sure. You know, but um, we'll, see what, we'll see what happens, you know, in, in the rest of the games. Now, real quickly, um, I don't know if you all saw on social media, um, but there was a situation uh, at the at the stadium where it looks like you know there was some issues with the stampede um, and uh, security, and they, in protest, the the stampede decided to um, leave the stadium, you know, before the game ended. Um, Today, I'm not here to make a decision on who's right and who's wrong. What I'm mostly interested in is making sure that the facts are in public because I don't think it's good to be making, you know, any kind of, you know, assumptions over a couple of social media posts uh, we don't know what the, we don't know 100 what the truth is, you know. So that's why I wasn't there at the stadium. Jacob wasn't there at the stadium, so we can't say, "Oh, this is exactly what happened," right? But I do want to set the record straight, you know, to you know to make sure that these kind of situations don't happen again. So, situation is obviously the Stampede were making some chance wasn't the P words chant. Don't worry, guys. It wasn't that. It wasn't homophobic chants. None of that. We do know that the Stampede really police those kind of uh, actions within the, the, the supporters group. But basically, um, 
It was a Spanish chant that when you translate it to English, it says, San Antonio can eat it. Oh, yeah, yeah. That you know? one, yes. Right. I, I know exactly what they were saying then. Yeah. So, as the game went on, and in the second half, they repeated the chant, uh, according to multiple people that were there in the section, uh, police come up to the stadium single out two members of the stampede and and proceed to tell them that they're going to be escorting them away uh, outside of the stadium because of vulgar language right so the issue began to escalate you know because they're like well what are we doing you know what are we doing wrong and you know uh, the people that were that were singled out weren't necessarily the ones that were, you know, making these. Or you could, in other words, you couldn't know for sure exactly who was the one that made the, that 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 were were chanting, right? So if it was loud, probably most of the members were chanting it, right? So are you gonna expel all members? Like no, right? My biggest question is from based on this is, isn't there a procedure to de-escalate the situation, try to figure out what happened, a warning system to say, okay, yep. hey guys, you guys are kind of getting, getting carried away with the with the language, just tone it down, blah, 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 blah. Okay, mm -hmm. now if it's the second and third time and you still keep it doing that, okay, then yes, you know, if you know for sure who it is, well, you know, mm -hmm. kick him out of the stadium, right? Mm -hmm. But the police went, you know, from zero to 100 really, really quick, mm -hmm. right? So, um, so it caught the attention of social media. Um, like I mentioned with, you know, the Orange County fans, you know, it's not good to, in my eyes, it's not good to make posts on social media at the heat of the moment, you know, because you don't control what you post and it could be something, you know, that you're going to end up regretting, right? Just like, uh, in that, in their case, Andy King, you know, ended up regretting what he posted, you know? Um, so in, in the end, you know, it's, it's just from what I've heard, you know, the FO are taking matters into their hands, trying to make sure what happened, make sure it doesn't happen again. Um, and, uh, hopefully it doesn't, it doesn't repeat. Um, and I know it's very difficult. Like I mentioned, Victoria, we've already gotten into these situations with, you know, what happened in California, you know, mm -hmm. they met. Somebody made in, at the LA Galaxy 2 game, somebody made another accusation, you know, saying that the, it happened again, you know, and then now you've got this at home and it's like, you know, guys, help us out here. Right. Uh, but I think what I'm trying, what I'm trying to say is, you know, get the fact, let's get the facts straight. Let's not make any assumptions as I make any, any accusations, uh, let the people involved, you know, work out on their own. Yep. Exactly. I'm not sure what you, what you think Jacob about, about the city or if you heard anything else. Yeah. I haven't heard much besides what, what's on Twitter and what you just said right there. I know I did make a statement. I'm saying, yeah, I'm not going to say anything until, you know, we know more of the facts, which is kind of what I said with the OCSC thing. But that's also what I brought up. I'm like, it could be, you know, situations like that. And that's why things got so escalated because the FO doesn't want another situation like OCSC. 
that's understandable but of course yes there could be a whole system thing where you're supposed to get a warning i've seen i've seen high school basketball fans and football fans and even soccer fans be much much worse and again yeah. watching and i've i've watched some of the broadcasts back and when you know before they stopped chanting and when they stopped chanting it didn't nothing sounded bad and you can't single out a single person even from there mm. so that's that's another thing it's just yeah a lot of that situation from what i've heard sounded uh did not sound the best and hopefully it all gets sorted out hopefully but yeah hopefully they can become friends from this fo and stampede can get along again yeah and everything i just don't be, want i just don't settled. want to I just don't want any, you know, mm-hmm. ill ill vibes between the exactly. front office and the stampede and the stampede yeah. and the front office and security, you know. Uh mm-hmm. let them work let them work it out. I know a lot of people were questioning, you know, what happened to Stampede, why did they leave? You know, mm-hmm. that's pretty much what happened. You know, it was a uh miscommunication, it was a dis some sort of discord between security and the stampede the stampede you know just weren't in agreement with how the 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 security treated the situation decided to protest uh in the in the middle of the game by by leaving the stadium you know uh we i mean as much as we can say if we agree or we disagree it's their decision we respect it Mm -hmm. all we care about is making sure that this thing is talked over the both sides get their story, uh, story set, uh, get into a, a mutual agreement and how to make this better for not only for the stampede, yeah. but also for the rest for the rest of the fans, you know, so that's what what needs to be taken out of the situation uh, and to help uh, both sides, you know, move on and continue growing their relationship rather than, you know, having some sort of, you know, breaking of a relationship between sg and the fans because at the end of the day i think the 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 people the the people that that are least guilty of the situation are the players and the coaching staff Mm -hmm. uh so but let's let's get this worked out and uh continue working on together you know let let the uh topics in hand be the players and what's going on in the field not what's happening off of the field i know it's three episodes already that if off the field things have kind of reached the 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 podcast uh, let's hope it's the last time for the season but i i agree but guys that's going to be it for today cuz we've got to go watch the US men's national team uh against uh Costa Rica we've got the yeah. qualifiers right now so uh thank you guys for listening to this episode if y'all liked it be sure to share it be sure to uh give us your rating on Spotify Google Podcast Apple Podcast Stitcher any podcasting platform uh you know give us your sincere rating what can we improve what do you like about it and uh be sure to recommend us to it with all of your friends and family let let us let's grow this audience so we can know more about uh, about the toros and grow this community of to- of toros fans uh follow us on all of our social media at down in the rgv on twitter facebook uh instagram and on, and on tiktok and you can follow me at sonochoa at iochoa underscore eight on t- instagram and on twitter and Jacob, where can they find you? Find me, Jake Young four five six on Twitter, the Overreacted Gamer on Twitch, as well as the Overreacted Gamer on YouTube. Check out the last video it was a vlog of this trip. 
of the Coda trip to be exact, if you want to check that out. And uh, what else am I missing? Oh, yeah, the Overreacted Gamer on TikTok as well. So new content almost every week, just like this show. So, uh, yeah, keep a lookout. Well, guys, that's going to do it for this episode. We'll see you all uh, next week for another episode of the Down in the Valley podcast. Take care.